Hey, today's show is sponsored by The Optimist at the platform in Culver City. Go say hi to Joey and David over there, my buddies who own the place. And uh, you get some of the coolest gear, incredible clothes, lifestyle. You can't beat it. Go there, mention my name, get 20% off uh, The Optimist LA. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Deal with Danny Brown. Today's guest out of Aspen, Doug Leibinger, one of the top agents in the Aspen area and one of the top agents in the world. Known Doug a long time. Aspen's one of my favorite places. Fly fish, frying pan, uh, and to ski. It's, it's just an incredible place. But you can always find Doug uh, on Instagram. Doug Leibinger Aspen Luxury. It's spelled L-E-I-B-I-N-G-E-R. Aspen Luxury. Or his website, searchhomesinaspen.com. You'll see it in the show notes as well. We're going to talk about what's going down in the Aspen market and the flock from big cities to resort areas and ski resort nature type places similar to Aspen. So enjoy this episode. Please subscribe and follow and leave us a comment either at YouTube or Apple Podcasts under the deal with Danny Brown. We appreciate you following us. School is in session. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Deal. Today's guest out of Aspen, Colorado, Doug Leibinger. How are you doing? Did I get that right or did I just mangle your last name too? I don't know. You got it. <laughs> I, right. I, I, see the oh, crystal, I see the crystal white snow behind you. I'm so jealous. Aspen, one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, we were supposed to go uh, over over presidents next week, but we're, we're going to switch it up and go to Tahoe this year. But welcome to The Deal. Uh, you're one of the top agents in the country, one of the top in the Aspen market. You've been at it a long time. So a good place to start is always what's going on in Aspen real estate now. Uh, it's 2022 first quarter. We've seen some huge record sales and Aspen has always been a high-end luxury market. It's no surprise that it's doing well. But why don't you give us the insider's take, the boots on the ground uh, narrative of, of what's really going on in that market. No, thanks, Danny. So, you know, it's interesting. Last year was a record-setting year in Aspen. I I had my own personal record-setting year, and, and the market also was indicative of that. And I did not think that as we rolled into 2022 that the volume, the enthusiasm, the energy was going to carry through. I just thought we were going to hit a pause. Uh, inventory is super tight, and yet... I, right now, if all goes according to plan, I'll have my best first quarter ever. Uh, you know, on, so it doesn't seem to have slowed down. Um, a lot of the volume that I had last year and what I'm seeing even this year is off-market properties. So it's finding a buyer who wants something and finding a seller who's willing to sell. And um, you know, some and there's some premiums being paid for that, but it's um, it's. It's kind of rarefied air, but it's an interesting market. It's kind of fun and challenging. So yeah, yeah, that's you know a lot of that's happening here too, and I can imagine in Aspen even more so because it's such a high-profile private situation. So those relationships and digging up opportunities within your network off-market is probably a huge thing. So talk to me about uh, what are sort of the, the some some of the high-end sales that have happened uh, this year or even last year even. You know, what were some of those high sales and where were they in Aspen? Yeah, so, I, I mean, listen, I've, I felt super fortunate to piece together what I, I believe is the, the record-setting sale for 
the state of Colorado. Um, it was an off-market property, a 35-acre ranch, a large 15,000-square-foot house and a beautiful guest house and swimming pool and pond and uh, elk migrating out in the field right out oh, in the front wow. yard. Um, a ranch. You know, an amazing thing. And um, that was a, a $40 million uh, purchase. And at the time, it seemed like, holy cow, that's, you know, one, it almost seemed crazy. And it seemed like, you know, totally uh, unforeseen and sort of rarefied air. I, my buyer told me the other day, he's so excited that he's, he bought the property and the lot next door to him, vacant parcel of land, also 35 acres, just closed for 21 million. So he's feeling really good about his purchase. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's just, it's really interesting. So that, that particular property is right in between Aspen and Snowmass. Okay. Aspen, as you know, Danny, you've been here, but, um, Aspen has four ski mountains. So you've got Aspen mountain, you have Aspen Highlands, which is extreme, the buttermilk area, which is where the X games take place. And then Snowmass is about 10, 15 minutes from Aspen and is uh, you know, big, huge, wide open slopes, intermediate terrain, ski and ski out homes, uh, pretty unique. So this is kind of smack dab in the middle of those two places. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's pivot back to you. And you you're a Colorado native, I know, and you've been in this game for so long. But why don't we talk a little bit about, uh, you know, where you grew up, how you grew up, what your parents did, where you went to school, sort of walk us up to Doug kid to growing up and then lead us to how you got into real estate in the first place. Aren't, aren't you a professional skier too? I mean, <laughs> I like to ski. Were you, uh, on the, were you on the Olympics team or what? I never was on the Olympics. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm okay, but I'm not that good. So, um, no, I grew up in, so I, to take you back, I, I grew up in Colorado. I am a native. I was born in Denver. I grew up in Evergreen, which is a little town outside of Denver, up in the foothills. Um, I went to high school in Littleton. I went to CU Boulder. I decided after Boulder, so I got a, a journalism degree in, um, at CU, and I completely thought I was going to be a big city exec, moved to San Francisco thought I was going to be, had this big advertising career and two years of city living did me in. And I said, I got to hightail it back to the mountains where I, I grew up. So um, I ended up in Aspen 30 years ago and I, it, unlike so many people that come to Aspen and think oh, I'm going to be here for a year, I'm going to bartend or ski instruct or whatever. Um, I felt like I wanted to move here and create a life and create a career and create, you know, a, a place. I, I knew that once I got here, I wanted to stay. So I was probably a little anomalous in that regard. Um, when I landed in town, I was an avid fly fisherman growing up. And my very first job as I landed on the ground here was as a fly fishing guide for two years. A frying pan? And frying pan and the Roaring Fork. Oh, yeah. I, was, I was fly fishing with my seven-year-old daughter on the frying pan this summer. Had the time of her life. I, I think she caught more trees than she caught fish, <laughs> but I caught a handful. It was awesome. I loved it. Tell, tell your daughter to stay after it because I find that it, you know when I was guiding, I found women to be way better at fly fishing than men. They just picked it up more naturally. They've got more finesse. 
more subtlety, just a softer, softer touch, which is important. So um, my wife is really good at it yeah. too. Well, we'll do it again this summer. We're yeah. coming back. We're going to do it again. Uh, we'll have to. We'll have to hit the river when yes. you come. Yeah. So okay. So you come to Aspen, and you weren't coming just for the ski season to be a ski instructor. You were thinking, hey, this is a place I want to start a life. So yeah, that's I, I did years ago. I did ski instruct thirty-two years ago at Copper Mountain for one season. Um, and certainly that could have been a great career. And I have a lot of friends that have made a career out of ski instructing and fly fish guiding and things. So it's, it's certainly a, a great thing, but I, I had this vision that I wanted to get into resort development, whatever that was. Um, I, you know, in my mind, I wanted to have a hand in what was happening and evolving in the resort, you know, industry. Um, this month, Danny, I don't know if you know, in it, 75 years ago, this month in February, Aspen became a ski area. So the, it has a, a long history, but kind of being involved in the ski industry, ski resort development was something that I had envisioned. And so about three years into my, you know, post fly fishing, I got my real estate license and kind of started on my path. And I have done some development. I've built uh, some spec houses. I've done some projects. And so I've had a hand in that, but the real estate brokerage kind of component became fairly natural to me as time evolved. So that's, I kind of fell into this 26 years ago and that's been my path. And were your parents in real estate or what industry were your parents in in Colorado? No, so my, my parents were, well, my, when I was two in Evergreen, Colorado, my, my parents split. Um, they both got remarried when I was six. I felt pretty fortunate that I had four parents that I really liked and cared about. Um, I can my, relate to that. I had the same experience, step-parents at a young age. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I got lucky. I had, I had four great parents. Um, my, my dad and my stepmom were educators and okay. um, music, English. Um, they were, you know kind of college professors. And my stepfather was a attorney, but also a civil engineer. So he kind of did, uh, you know, litigation in dams and bridges and buildings. So I got at an early age with his, his sort of observation around the dining room table and, you know, conversations about uh, building and, and things and that always interested me. I kind of thought I wanted to be an architect. Um, I never pursued that, but real estate sort of fell into place uh, as time evolved. My mom was interesting. She was, an, she was an artist and a singer. She actually sang on the Perry Como show in New York City. Imagine that. Um, she, uh, and you know, a pretty interesting uh, character and she just passed away a couple of weeks ago. So that's, that's, that's uh, rocked my world a little bit, but her spirit lived on and, and it's, uh, it's good fun, so. So I guess what I'm get what I'm hearing is you didn't move to Aspen with a database full of uh, mega millionaire billionaire clients ready to call Doug to help do real estate deals. You came there as a young guy starting a life and started from scratch there. What when did you get? Was this the time you got into the brokerage side, or were you doing other? You said resort development, but when did you get into what you're doing now, residential sales? So it's interesting. So I'll back up. I, I left San Francisco and the, that summer when I, I quit my job and I decided that 
I wanted to end up in the Rockies. I didn't know which town, but I knew that I wanted to be in a ski resort. And I took a whole summer. I had my fly rod. I had my mountain bike, my tent. And I had one pair of khaki pants and a white Oxford. And I, I took people to lunch. I, went, I basically went from Whitefish, Montana to Taos, New Mexico, every ski resort in between. And I took heads of ski com- companies, you know, Vail Associates, Aspen Ski Company, whatever, out to lunch. And I said, if you were in your early 20s, out of school, had a degree, had a couple years of work experience, uh, you know, what would you do? And they all advised that I understand the bed base, understand how and why people come to a resort area and how they spend their money. So they said, get a, get a job at a hotel, the best job you can get. And, you know, to work there for a year or something, but just to understand how people, you know, come and enjoy the mountains. Okay. So I had an offer at the Ritz Carlton hotel in Aspen yeah. and the Stein Erickson lodge in Deer Valley. Oh. And I really was weighing out park city, Deer Valley or Aspen. Um, you know, I don't think I would have gone wrong in either place. And I probably would have had a similar career path, but I'm grateful that I landed in Aspen and uh, you know, things have just kind of evolved from there, but I got my real estate license. I wor- worked for the Ritz for a couple of years. My wife of we're, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary. Yeah, we, thanks. Um, we met at the Ritz Carlton at the opening, and she got transferred to Puerto Rico a year into our our married life. And we didn't have kids yet. And we said, okay, let's let's go there. And I ended up getting a job selling timeshares at the Hyatt in Dorado beach. And so my, my yeah. So my career started as a timeshare salesman and basically, you know, meeting people, talking to them, talking to them about, you know, this beautiful Hyatt resort on the, on the ocean. And, um, it was unbelievable experience and I'm super grateful for it because I got told no, over and over and over again. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, you know, it's like you kind of you, you live and learn, but you don't worry about it. You just kind of forge ahead and keep going. And they told they almost fired me. They said that I was I was the worst rookie that they had ever seen because I was not a closer. I wasn't a high pressure guy. I was not like hammering people to you know buy on the spot. Close, close, close. Yeah, yeah. But what was interesting is by the end of the first year, the last couple of months, I became their rookie salesman of the year because I was the only person that actually called somebody in New York City or Connecticut or, you know, Jersey and said, hey, are you ready to buy, you know, six months later, eight months later? And they're like, yeah, we're ready. And they, they, they were like, you're an anomaly. This is like for the timeshare industry. I was, I was not, I, I was cut from a different cloth, yeah. you know, completely. Um, but it turned out to be a good career and I was selling $10,000 weeks, you know, and, and getting paid a a small commission, but it added up and we lived a comfortable life and, you know, we, we enjoyed our time in Puerto Rico for two years. I learned how to do a a sales presentation in Spanish. Um, I, yeah, I'm not good at it, but I, I, I figured out how to, you know, talk to sort of the local crew there. So. Um, so it was a really interesting experience for me when we moved back to Aspen two years later. Um, 
we had our first of three daughters and I ended up getting a, a job actually at a, a kind of a high-end fractional development in Snowmass for a year, which evolved into more fractional sales at a very high-end private club called the Roaring Fork Club, which you might've seen you've been here. And that was a five-year stint. And then that sort of pushed me into the general real estate market. So, you know, I'd say 20 years ago in earnest is when I really started to have sales that that morphed into the general marketplace and it's just kind of evolved from there. So all right. So there's a lot to unpack there, but what I have heard and what is interesting, if you know, you, people always say, Well, what makes the ideal luxury high end real estate agent? And I, and I always say, Well, let's reverse engineer what someone did. It's not that you did it on purpose, but clearly right out of school you were a networker and looking for mentors, the fact that you reached out to all these different people in different uh, parts of the, the snow resort industry to meet them, that's major networking. You know, that a lot of people don't realize it. That's what it takes. That's sales. Right. You're meeting yeah. people and you're asking them questions and letting them tell you you're not. And then that you go to a hardcore, fast close sales position in Puerto Rico and you're the worst salesman because you're not closing 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 but the reality is your style and your long sale and the different sort of more sophisticated approach actually is the approach that works they just didn't know it and that's the approach that works obviously and when you're dealing with real estate that we're not selling anybody we're consultants and it's a strategic you know advisor approach you know that's so that it's interesting to hear your background uh in there and i also think that it's nice to see like your authentic self. You love skiing, you love fly fishing. That's the culture, you love the rocket. That's the culture of uh, of where you are. So that comes through too. And uh, newer agents always, you know, asking, what do I need to do? How do I get more business? It's not always being authentic and playing to who you are and being yourself. It's a big part of it, you know, it's a big part of it. So. Sorry about that rant. Let me get back on track here. So in those first, if you can remember, first year to starting, yeah, where were you? What company were you at that point? I'd love to hear if you can bring yourself back the struggles because it's not easy doing, you know, all commission, no, no salary type of work. And Aspen's a competitive market. So what, what was that like getting that business off the ground and some of the challenges and struggles? Yeah, so you touched on something a minute ago when you were talking about being a consultant. And it was interesting because, you know, when I started this career in sales and especially in the real estate component, granted it was timeshare, I I didn't love that I was a timeshare salesman. I didn't love that I was a real estate salesperson. And I'd say it's probably, you know, 15, 18 years ago that I kind of gave up the notion that I sell anything. I, the consultancy component, I, you know, I feel like I'm a, a wedding, a marriage counselor. I'm a, I'm a psychologist. I'm an architect. I'm a designer. I, you know, I mean, I sort of, and, and listening really has been, if I, if, if, if I was going to advise some young upstart person that's trying to get into the industry, if they could take one word away from this whole conversation we're having is be a good listener. I mean, listening is absolutely paramount. I, I see so many people in our industry that talk and talk and talk and they don't they don't hear what the client, the customer is looking for. 
and they talk over them. And then all of a sudden they find themselves losing that client. And I think if you can just sit back, relax, let the process sort of go and listen, and then find out you know, what they're seeking and find it for them, that's where you're going to have your edge. So, yeah, so to take you back, so I, you know, I ended up leaving Puerto Rico. I came to a development that the Aspen Skiing Company was sponsoring called the Snowmass Club. It was also fractional, but it was kind of a higher, you know, sort of a, a you could call it timeshare, but it was sort of a much higher end, more sophisticated group. And we did, I was lucky because the Aspen Skiing Company and that team was bringing in the marketing dollars to bring people to the door. And then it was a matter of, you know, having a, a presentation, talking to them. So my career really started on what I would deem the buyer side of it and a lot of listening. And then those people said, well, a one eighth share of a little pocket of snow mass is good, but I'm kind of interested in something more. And then I moved to this Roaring Fork Club, which was a, a, a wonderful private club, fly fishing, golf, dining, tennis, um, but all these cabins that were sold, some were whole ownership and some were uh, fractional, you know, one eighth, one quarter. And I also had an opportunity to have some of that business kind of coming into me. So I didn't, I didn't have to just walk into a town blind and try to figure out how to, you know, create business. I had some of that business that came to me initially, but then it was a matter of taking that the next step and saying, okay, as things evolved, those people wanted to leave their fractional component of a small cabin and buy a ranch or buy a fly fishing, you know, riverfront home. And that's sort of how my, uh, you know, evolution occurred. So I, I got lucky because I thought of it as the long haul. I mean, I have a lot of the relationships that I have are, are now 20 years old and those people are still referring their friends to me. They're, you know, if they're 10 years into a ownership, they're, they're calling me cause I stay in touch. I, I, I call them, I write, I send an email. I, I, you know, I touch base with people usually once a quarter and try to just, you know, have a, a direct conversation with um, all the people I've worked with. And I think that's also important. So it's, it's not like you just sell something and then you walk away and you forget about that person. I think if you can take a long range approach to your career, you have, have a better semblance of having success. So a lot of follow up and touching in with people, which is also a huge part of what anyone does in business. So being specific in a being in a resort market, what would you say is the you know how many of the, the people there are uh, residents full time versus part time second home fourth home tenth home? You know I know Aspen's got a lot of that, but is there? And it doesn't have to be exact. It's just kind of a range. Is it half and half? Is it not? I mean, what what is the what is the makeup of people that own in, in Aspen? Well, I, I would have had a very defined answer for you until about 12 months ago. Uh, I, the world has changed. It has. Uh, yeah. I mean, historic pre-COVID then. Give me the pre-COVID Aspen world and, and then we'll talk about now. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. So, I mean, listen, there's only, there's only 50,000 people that live in the entire what's called the Roaring Fork Valley because the Roaring Fork River runs through Aspen. 
past Snowmass, down through Basalt, Carbondale, Glenwood. So there's, you know, there's six, 8,000 people that live in Aspen. I mean, it's, there's small communities. Right. So you had a component of people like myself and professionals, whether they're teachers or firemen or, you know, a hospital or a nurse or a doctor or whatever that are living in the Valley. And there was a segment of the real estate market of local residents and like any market. And then you had a second homeowner component that would come in from Dallas or Houston or Chicago or Miami or New York. And they would buy a house or a condominium or something that they knew that they would probably use two, three, four weeks out of the year. So that was, and, and like clockwork, two people from Dallas would buy a house, two people from Houston would buy a house, you know, three people from Chicago would buy condos, whatever it might be. That, that was like a kind of a consistent flow of second homeowners, or in some cases, third or fourth or fifth homeowners, but, but they would have a vacation home in this valley. All of a sudden, you know, a year ago, COVID kind of happens and we have a whole new dynamic of people that are coming in that are saying, I'm getting a New York salary. My job is still in New York City, but I'm being told I can live anywhere. So I'm going to choose to live in Aspen or Snowmass or wherever it might be. So the, the market has changed and inventory has become tighter. We've got less available inventory and a lot more buyers. So it's really, it's the, I think the whole playing field is, has completely changed. And I don't know that that's going to go back to what it was. I think this is kind of a new reality. Yeah. I hear that from a lot that we're sensing that even, you know, LA people leaving to go yeah. to r- more rural markets and certainly Colorado has, has been one of those migration points where people want to get outdoors space, nature, and they can work mobile and they don't need to be in an office in New York or San Francisco or LA or Chicago. So that, that's really fascinating. So the landscape has, it is and has been dramatically changing there over the, the last 24 months or so. And it sounds like it's gonna continue to. And this will then dovetail into the summer market. I love coming there in summer. Uh, you've said, you know, the famous line, which I've heard so many times, people come to Aspen in the winter and stay for the summers. But what, what kind of migration happens in summer versus winter. I mean, can you speak to a little bit about that? What the lifestyle is like, both for summer and winter, the differences, or is it the same people that are enjoying both? So uh, you touched on the fact that the lifestyles, you know, part, I mean, I think part of my success is just the, the sheer fact that I am super passionate about mountain living. I mean, I, I love to fly fish. I love to ski. I mountain bike, I road bike, I hike, I climb, you know, all of the things that this Valley offers. Um, I do, and I do passionately and, and, you know, I do consistently. I also like the fact that especially in the summertime, we have this incredible cultural base. We've got the Aspen music festival, physics Institute, the Aspen Institute, the ideas festival. There's a lot of high, high level, very sophisticated, what I would deem as almost urban, you know, New York City, London, Paris kind of level uh, interaction that happens. Um, You get some of the best musicians in the world that come here. We have incredible dining, incredible shopping, like the, the things that draw people to a city 
are here. I mean, it's, you know, it's a small town, but it's four big city people. And so the summer crowd is a little bit different where most of the people that come in the winter are passionate about skiing and their, their main driver is to come to ski, whether it's, you know, by themselves, with their families, with friends. In the summertime, you get a totally different mix of people that come and, and some people might be passionate hikers and that's why they're here. Some people might be passionate fly fishermen. That's why they're here. But there's a lot of people that just come to go to these cultural events and they happen to like the nice weather. They like the lack of humidity. They, you know, I mean, there's, there's things that draw them, but their driver is different than athletics and recreation. That is historically what brought people to town, you know, over the last 75 years. Yeah. I mean, I love going to, to Aspen in both summer and winter. It's just fantastic in completely different ways and just gorgeous landscape. I mean, it, it's so fun. So what are some of the hot restaurants these days in Aspen? I love the, the steakhouse. I love M. I love I love the old steakhouses. My wife loves that too. What's where do you like? Where's the good where's the good spots these days? Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny. My my friend Craig and Sam are, are the owners of the Monarch and Steakhouse 316. And um those two are are excellent. Yeah. I mean they're they're spot the, on. Um I, I had a great dinner at Alina the other night, which is downstairs. Uh, is wonderful sort of Italian restaurant. Yeah. We um, we're just lucky, man. We you know Matsuhisa is the bomb. I mean, if if you know everybody knows Nobu, but and and or Matsuhisa, but it's just incredible. But we also have you know Kanichi and other sushi restaurants there that are excellent. You've got three great Italian restaurants. We've got, you know, four great steakhouses. So we're, we're really lucky to have such a great high level cuisine kind of offering. Um, Clark's Clark's for, you know, the oyster bar is spot on. I mean, it's, it's so many so. places in such a small condensed yeah. town. And that's why I love going there. There's so much to do. There's somewhere to go yet. You still feel like you're totally away from the world and this beautiful landscape. It's, it's just yeah. such a special, special place. And what do you what do you see for the market? Uh, what's your crystal ball telling you moving forward? More of the same, more people, you know, flighting to nature and leaving the big cities for places like Aspen. Well, so it is interesting. I mean, I really did think that 2022 was going to be off. I just thought it was going to fall yeah. flat. I, I've I mean, this this quarter, it's been incredible. And I would tell you that there are a lot of people looking and I'm finding that you get a new listing that comes on and there's five offers in the first day or two or three. So, you know, things are still trading um, at much higher prices than they were historically. So it seems like the enthusiasm is still there. The other thing that's interesting is that we do have a pretty big international presence um, I've got a lot of clients that come from, you know, Asia, from Singapore, from Hong Kong, from, um, from Sydney, from London, Sao Paulo, and none of those people have been able to get here in the last two years. So <laughs> as, that pent as up world, yeah, so as the world starts to open up and travel becomes regular again, I have a feeling we're going to see a whole thrust of international buyers that haven't even been here for the last two years. And that's that's going to change the market too. So it's it it's going to be interesting to see how 
you know, the next year or two evolves, but, um, that's interesting. You know, all that pent up hearing, yeah, I keep hearing about all these corporations that are literally closing down their offices and saying, you still have your job, go forth, you know, go, yeah. go live someplace on the planet, just do your job and, and you'll still get your paycheck. So I have a feeling that we're going to just continue to see a role of, of people at all different price points and, and, you know, whether it's smaller places down in, you know, our mid Valley area, salt Carbondale or up in Aspen or Snowmass, I just think it's going to sort of generally continue. So I should have asked this earlier, but is, are you guys still in mass? Is it still mass mandates or what's the situation like uh, with COVID and required mass and restaurants and what's happening today? Yeah, it's, it's on, I, I would say it's, it's, it's sort of on the verge of probably being discontinued. It, Aspen itself, Aspen proper has a mask mandate. If you're inside, inside. Um, everybody outside is walking around, you know, mask free and, and, and kind of, you know, looking at, at their spatial relations, but, um, you know, outside it's fine. And it's great because you can get outside and go skiing or go for a hike and, and not worry about it. Um, inside there is a mask mandate and yet I walked into a restaurant the other night and nobody had a mask on. Like, uh, so I think, I think it's sort of easing now, but you know, it's not being sort of policed or monitored. And I think people are getting it. If you, you know, you don't feel well, stay home. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope we're all at the, the tail end of it. In LA, it feels like they're talking about lifting mask mandates soon. So hopefully that'll happen there too. So yep. how many days a year you get to ski up there? What's an average ski uh, for you? I had a good year last year, and I skied probably 80 days. 80 days! And are yes. you skiing everywhere, or do you have a favorite mountain, or you just try different ones depending on the weather or whatever? So, I, I mean, my office, you know, our uh, compass office is in downtown Aspen. I oftentimes will go right take there. a couple runs on the gondola and just run over to, you know, right Aspen. Ajax? Yeah, come back it, it, for a conference call an hour later. <laughs> well, or take the conference call on the on the gondola. Oh, so, <laughs> is that um, why when I call you, it's like, <sighs> it, it, yes, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, that's amazing. You know, I'm I'm gonna when we're done with our call, I'm gonna run up to Snowmass and go meet a client and ski with him for a couple of runs. Um, so, know. that's that's this afternoon, but. If I have a go-to, like if I know that I've got a block of time and I can go ski, I yeah. try to go to Aspen Highlands. Highlands. I, love, I love hiking off-piste and going up to the Highlands Bowl. And, um, you know, it's, it's fairly steep and extreme, yeah. but it's good. So, yeah, so like I that's said. Probably, you're, you're that's like my favorite go-to. So you're, you'll actually go hiking to the top of the bowl, go extreme skiing and drop in. <laughs> you're not messing around. <laughs> I, no, I, I mean... I started skiing when I was like four, so I it's it's, it's kind of second nature. It's it's something I'm really passionate about. So um, so yeah. it really rings true the uh, the expression. Oh, you do you can do a lot of business on the golf course. Well, you can do a lot of business in Aspen on the slopes. Clearly, yeah. I now I try to meet clients on uh, up on the ski hill as much as I can. I you know it's like hey, let's go grab lunch and yeah. ski two runs, and it's uh, it it's good fun. So. So talk to me a little bit about uh, just sort of rough numbers in Aspen proper near the ski lifts. Uh, if you wanted to buy a typical average two-bedroom condo, what that's you know livable, clean, updated. What is sort of the range for a you know two thousand square foot condo, so to speak? 
Uh, and then what also would be the range of like a, a, a typical, you know, four or five bedroom family house nearby that's, you know, four or 5,000 feet. Just, I know the ranges go, are huge based on land, but let's not talk about big land sprawling. Like, let's talk about more smaller, smaller, typical family homes and condos, not like the mega, mega estates. So I showed a client yesterday, a two bedroom condo, okay. great, really, truly ski and ski out, about uh, 1,400 square feet. Um, it had been on the market for one day. It's already under contract. Um, offered at three million dollars. Okay. So you know that's that's one example. Um, the you know it's funny. I remember very distinctly. I don't know. This is probably 15 years ago when we hit in in the Aspen Core and, and that area a threshold of over a thousand dollars a square foot, and everybody was like there's no way this is sustainable. This is crazy. This is nutty. And now with regularity, things are selling for 3,500 a square foot, 4,000, 5,000. Like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's changed. And right. so um, 3 million is an average smaller two bedroom condo. That's three. And how about a, a house that's within, you know, five minutes of Aspen skiing? So uh, there's not many of them available. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I have a, I have a, a 6,000 square foot, beautiful five bedroom, single family home on the base of Red Mountain listed for sale for 27 million. Um, it gets shown all the time. Like we haven't, we've had a couple offers. It just hasn't come together yet. But I mean, that's an example. Now, Red Mountain is kind of, you know, creme de la creme. This particular address is called Willoughby Way. And it's like sort of the Rodeo drive of, you know, of, of Aspen. Um, so that's a little anomalous, but there's a lot of homes that are that, you know, a four or five bedroom, single family home in the five, eight, 10, 12, 15 that's million. That's the entry range. level for that type of house. The five, four or five million dollars would be like the entry level. The yeah. Lower, right. Lower right level. now, today, if you want to be in Aspen, single family, it's the entry is probably more like six, six and a half. Okay. As the, Ooh. as the entry. There you sure. go. There you go. And that's not going to be uh, ski and ski out with views. That's going to be very entry. I love it. What a market. <laughs> what a market. Well, look, thank you for spending time with us today. Anything else you want to add on uh, plugging Aspen in any way? Take the floor. But otherwise, man, thank you for, for spending so much time with us. And maybe you'll get some good skiing in today. Well, I, I certainly hope that I'll get out on the uh, on the hill and, and meet up with this guy. So it it's a beautiful day here, as you can tell. I mean, it's uh, blue sky, sunshine, uh, gorgeous. We got some new snow yesterday, about eight inches, and a big storms on the way. I think from from your neck of the woods is pushing west. So, what is the base right now at Ajax? How much snow? Uh, it's a good base. We we had over a hundred inches of snow at Christmas. So, so the base is super solid coverage is great the skiing's really been a phenomenal phenomenal year so we're, we've been lucky but hopefully i'll get uh, up there uh if i don't get up there this winter i'll be there this summer so we'll get together this summer and hopefully i'll get up there for skiing soon one of my well, favorite we're, places we're, we're gonna have to go uh do a little fly fishing out yes so. yes maybe show my daughter how to catch fish me the city slicker i got her in the bushes pulling branches <laughs> At the awesome. frying pan, but we'll get her. Well, thank you, yeah. Doug. I appreciate it. Have a good weekend. 
Great to see you. Thank you for spending time with us. Good to see you, Danny, and thanks. Thanks a lot.